0: ready to go for uh communion. okay we're live he'll be behind the group and they just like will just start to oh. up and they'll like get up i'm <laughs> <laughs> like stop that don't do that anyhow okay here we go talk my favorite one cross sticks mark uh, in revelation the talk mark on the psalm 119
1: 169.
0: So you don't know the, the code on the board there Sign, signal, monument. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplications come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts i long for your salvation O lord and your law is my delight let me live that i may praise you and may your laws sustain me i have strayed like a lost sheep seek your servant for i have forgotten your commands i have
1: not forgotten your command
0: i have not correct difference, <laughs> major difference <laughs> that's the most likely by nasb that i've ever heard you read Your, your, your NIV. Uh. I don't know, just it was close walk.
1: there. They got yeah. Yeah.
0: Did they also forget the not
1: No, he's there. All right. So
0: it was my addition to that. Let's see <coughs> what
1: we got here. Uh, today is the uh, 15. That means it's a 12th Thank you. May 12th. May 12th. It says one of the 20th century's most widely read Christian authors had just a grammar school education. Anybody know who that was? A.W. Tozer.
0: Really?
1: Wow. Really? Aiden Wilson Tozer was born in 1897, the third of six children in a poor Pennsylvania family. His wife was so chronically ill that Tozer had to leave school after sixth grade to work the family's farm. When he was 15, his family moved to Akron, Ohio, where Tozer worked in a factory of the Goodrich Tire Company. One of his new neighbors asked Tozer if he was a Christian. I don't know, he answered. But I'll think about it. Over the next years, he did think about it. Three years later, while walking home from work one day, Tozer saw a crowd gathered on a corner around an elderly street preacher. Curious, he stopped to listen and heard the old man say, if you don't know how to be saved, just call on God saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Unable to stop thinking about what the preacher had said, Tozer went home and climbed up into the attic for privacy determined to settle the question once and for all. Hours later, he emerged a changed young man. The first thing Tozer's family noticed was that he would disappear into the basement for hours every day. There behind the furnace, he found a nook that served his purpose, a place to spend uninterrupted time reading the Bible and praying. He also began attending a church where he met Ada Fouts, who later became his wife. Ada's mother loaned Tozer Christian books from her library. Tozer devoured them one by one. God had plans for young Tozer. He began preaching on the sidewalks himself and through this ministry met other preachers who were pastors in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Contact with them led to his ordination in that denomination. In 1928, God called Tozer to pastor Chicago's Southside Alliance Church where he remained for 31 years. Tozer had a natural gift for communication, and excelled as a preacher but as he prayed over the needs of his congregation he realized that a few of them read christian books that could help them grow spiritually tozer's own spiritual education had come from books not schools it seemed to him that few christians seemed to have an appetite for books that made them think about much less obey god in 1943 god led tozer to begin writing the kind of books he felt would help his people For Tozer, writing was a form of worship in which he tried to relate to others his own sense of awe and wonder at the love of God. The only book that should ever be written, he said, is one that flows up from the heart, forced out by inward pressure. Tozer's books, over 30 of them, including The Pursuit of God and The Knowledge of the Holy, poured out of his deep relationship with God. Tozer credits God alone for their inspiration and their success and gave away most of the royalties. A.W. Tozer died on 12 May 1963. God made him a man of many words, but the epitaph on his tombstone reads simply, a man of God. Do you read Christian books? After Bible study, reading Christian books is one of the most spiritually helpful things a person can do. Visit your church library or your local Christian bookstore and ask God to direct you concerning the books you should read. Psalm 16.3, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Okay, I was going to get down on this commentary until the very last thing where they had the reflection that says do you read Christian books? And I was going to stop and make a comment, but then I my eyes went further and it said after Bible study, mm-hmm. reading Christian books is one of the most blah blah blah. Okay, y- y- you can't replace the Bible with books. Yep. I know people that have read every book that has ever been written on the subject of Heaven, and yet they've never read their Bible. Right. That is a pointless existence. I'm sorry. You read the Bible, and then you can read all the Christian books you want, and you can decide, is this in line with the Bible or is it not? Amen. Anybody can write, yeah, absolutely. Anybody can write anything about anything, anybody can say anything that they want to say. If you don't know what the word says first, you've set yourself up for a fall. You've set yourself up for somebody that's going to manipulate you or just tell you something wrong. and. I was talking to a good friend of mine today who sent me a commentary on something, and the commentary was great all the way through it until the very end of the commentary. And then there was one thing that had nothing to do with the Bible. It was completely inappropriate. And so I talked to him about it, and we uh, went over a couple other things and uh, had, a, had a good talk. But uh, you got to be careful, and the person did not intentionally do it, but it was definitely a Calvinistic addition to what was said in the that commentary. And The rest of the commentary was just spotless. Anyway, it's uh, so it's good to know. It's good to know the Bible, mm-hmm. and I will never say don't read Christian books. Don't read commentaries. I read commentaries every single morning of my life and all day on Monday, and that's fine, but you don't want to read anything without first reading your Bible. Know your Bible. Understand what the Bible says. Uh, I've got a friend that's considering going to Christian college, and he emailed me about something, and I said... You need to know the Bible first. You need to know that before you do anything. Before you go into that college, you need to make sure that you are grounded because if you're not, whatever they teach you is going to sink in and you're going to believe it's true for the rest of your life because you have no knowledge of the word. This is where the importance is. Everything after this, and that's why I got to tell you, when I first met the Lord, really, really understood who he was. When I that first happened in my life, I read this, Um, Not everybody has the time I did, but I read this 10 hours a day, every day of the week, seven days a week, and I did it for two years. And that's because I had a business, you know, when you're in Florida and it's not tourist season, you got a lot of free time. And I got to the point where people walking through the front door to buy stuff, I'd get annoyed. I'd be like, oh, because I was so (laughs) into reading the Bible for the umpteenth time. But if you don't have that grounding, or at least try to have that grounding, read the Bible think on it, You're and a good thing to do, and like I said, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, your mind will wander when you're driving. So it, it's not really a memory tool, but I listen to the audio Bible, I turn on the car and it comes on and it just plays. And when the disc ends, I put in the next one. And I just, two weeks ago, put in Genesis again. Got to Revelation and I pulled it out and put in Genesis. You're getting the Bible. You may not be remembering because you're getting distracted and, you know, there's this going on or that going on. But you're getting the Bible if you're listening to something else you're not getting the Bible yeah I mean and I'm not saying it's wrong I in no way saying that it's wrong for you to listen to music or to listen to anything else that's fine you know during the day when I'm working not sermon typing not commentary typing during the day and I'm just doing my regular work I have music playing all day long whatever YouTube picks unless it gets vulgar I just let it play. It doesn't bother me. It's just background music so I, you know, I'm not boring myself to death listening to me. But other than that, um uh you know, I can't listen to people speaking while I'm doing my regular work. You know, while I'm, you know, whatever. I'm whatever I'm doing that isn't related to the Bible. I cannot listen to people speaking. And so I have music play. And I don't care what plays. It can be yeah, I don't like rap, but it can be country it can be rock whatever they pick out that symphony and the good thing about symphony is when it starts playing a symphony song it may go on for four hours because it just plays the whole symphony and so you don't have to think about oh i'm not going to click this off it just plays so whatever comes on i don't care but there's nothing wrong with that and i don't want to you know belittle anybody that listens to whatever they want to but the priority when you can should be the, the word of god it should be because you are uh in need of putting that in first in your life, especially when you're going to church or when you're going to a seminary or when you're doing anything where somebody can influence you. Um, you know, I, I won't say where this came from because somebody sent me something about the temple in Jerusalem. It's where the city of David is. It's not the Temple Mount. And it, it was one of the goofiest things I've ever seen. Um, and so I made a very short comment at the bottom of the video, which normally I don't, but it was just a dumb. I said, how ridiculous. That's all I said. <laughs> And the guy came back and he started arguing, well, you must not love Jesus because you don't care where the temple is. And I said, try reading John 4, 21 through 23. Mm-hmm. We worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where that temple was mm-hmm. because that temple had a purpose and it was lead to lead those people to Jesus. That's what the purpose of the rites and the rituals of the temple was. If it was on the Temple Mount, which it was, because all you need to do is go to Josephus and he describes what it was like okay the size of it it wouldn't fit anywhere else in jerusalem it was definitely the temple mount but people don't want to hear that they want it. the new thing the new book that came out they want to argue that type of thing that's fine it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter because the temple is not the focus of god it, we're doing x right now and that's what stephan is talking about that's exactly what he's talking about in the the chapter seven of acts is that they had the tabernacle in the wilderness they had this and they had that and it didn't do anything okay most of it was outside of the land of Israel. Israel isn't the key. Israel is simply a place where the Jews are and it's a part of the redemptive story, but it's not the key. The key is Jesus. And we get way off on tangents on things because we're not in this. This is where we will get our information that we need. John 4, woman, I tell you, there is a time coming and it is now, yeah, it now is where People will worship in spirit and in truth. That's I know I didn't say the whole thing properly, but that is what he said. Um, I don't have any prayer requests. I I had two or three in my head this morning, so I'm not going to forget these. And I'm drawing a complete blank. So we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, there are some prayer requests that were sent to me that I have completely drawn a blank on, and I apologize, Lord, but uh, you know who they are. You know what their needs are. And you know the situations that these people are in and all the other people that have things in their lives that are lacking or that are uh, askew in some way or another. Lord, help these people to uh, get through their trials, their difficulties, and to put you first in all things, even if the trials continue. That's where the sweet spot is, is to know that we have the hope that transcends this world. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful word you've given us. We would pray that it would be handled properly. We certainly pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today alone, I've had at least 10 people, which Jim was talking about when he got here, uh, say to me that I can't believe how wicked the world has gotten. The rapture's got to be soon. And I, I say, I, I think it all the time, Genesis 6, wickedness covered the whole face of the earth. And We're not there yet because we were down to one man, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. We're not there yet. But there is a lot of wickedness in this world. And it's just, it's like a flower that's just opening up. I hate to use the word flower, though, because that's something beautiful. And what's happening is not beautiful. It's like something disgusting that's just blossoming. And so, you know, we have to keep our cool in this time because what a terrible time it is especially when we've got the politicians up in Washington that are openly condoning things that would never have been spoken out loud Mm -hmm. just a few years ago. Unbelievable. So keep your wits about you, and the Lord is coming. You had something. Go ahead, Bart.
0: Preacher, I can't remember who it was. said in seminary, the guys learned a whole lot from the sessions that the guys that had class that day discussing. says, That's why you need to know the Bible before you go in.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. If you don't know the Bible before you go in, whatever they teach you, that's going to set. And that's why we've got Methodists, because they go to Methodist universities and they accept that premise and they teach Methodism. That's why we have Lutherans and all these people with their own individual seminaries and they stick to the party line because they didn't know their Bible first. Very few people go into a seminary and say, I already know this word. And he's thinking about going to Christian College and I gave him some advice on that I you know this is what's going to happen you need to be prepared you need to actually I was talking about him well I just don't want to be general but I don't think you care so um, yeah you need to be prepared for what's coming especially by saying I'm going to dedicate my time this year before I go to reading this word I'm just gonna read it every chance I can get because and it's not that the people intentionally teach wrong, but they learned wrong, they learned wrong, and you just it's a succession of wrong learning, okay? And unless we can get through that, we're not going to be able to get out of whatever we were incorrectly taught. And there are certain disciplines you've never heard of when you go into a college, and they don't talk about them in churches for the most part, okay? And there are things that will give you a background of what you will be telling to your church or to your, you know, the, your Bible studies. And so that's always going to be in there. And if it was wrong from the start, your thoughts about whatever you are teaching that deal with that issue will be wrong. So you have to be able to say, I know that what I was taught today was not biblical. I have to do it because this is my course. I have to submit something that will uh, be in line with what the teacher says, but you're allowed to disagree with your teacher when you submit something. You just say, this is what I believe, but I'm going, this is what you've asked of it. This is what you asked, you know, how it to be analyzed. You're, But you're allowed to be a thinker, hopefully, in most colleges still. I'm talking about Christian colleges, but you have to know the word to be able to do that. You must. So anyway, we'll go ahead and get into Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter three, I thought we'd be done with that already, and we'd be up into the uh, book of Hebrews, but we're still in Philippians 3, and we're in verse 11.
0: 11, which is the end of a paragraph. I'll go to the top. Oh, good. Before you go any further, know your Bible, because when they start to feed you something crazy like that the temple, and their first salvo is, well, you mustn't love Jesus. Jesus. It's like, okay. Red herring. Did anyone even say this? It's like, you know. And then you come right back and you give him like exact verses. I bet you never responded after that.
1: I I don't know. I just did that twenty minutes well, ago. I'll
0: bet you I ten dollars. He never came back. He <laughs> won't.
1: Yeah, or he will argue again for what he believes and just ignores you know, the comment that, that I made. So I'm not I'm not going to comment to him again. I just wanted him to know that what he said was ridiculous. It will, was very ridiculous. But beyond that, you um, uh, could
0: say that with confidence because you knew. No, absolutely,
1: Bible. <laughs> absolutely. As that. Oh, yes.
0: Um, they say the one who um, picks out the counterfeit money, he only studies the real thing. That way, when the
1: counterfeit, well, oh, that's comes right. Up, that's right. It, what she said is, if you uh, have a, a counterfeit money, uh, the person that is making it will only study the real thing. They're not going to study a counterfeit. So you have to be the aware. Person you have checking
0: to, For the counterfeits, <laughs> yeah. only knows the real one and knows. That's the, right. That's how quickly you can tell what the fake one is. That's
1: so. right. Yeah, this is the real thing, is the Word of God. Right. And so we need to know this first. Okay, go ahead.
0: Seven, we'll start at that. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I I may gain Christ and be found in him, Not having a righteousness of of my own own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. (coughs) I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. 11. And so, somehow, to obtain the resurrection from the dead.
1: Okay, he only changes one thing instead of somehow, he says, by any means. He's going to pursue any means to. Okay, let's see what we have here. Paul had just said being conformed to his death. While speaking of Christ, Christ died in sinless perfection, and Paul desired to follow him as closely as he could in this sinless state. Okay, now I will admit I tried to do that all the time, and I think there's probably not been five minutes in my life that I've been successful at it. Just I'll make that admission right now. Rather than living for the world and in the flesh, his desire was to be molded to be like Christ in all ways. To show his great desire in this, he now states, if by any means. This is not a statement of doubt, but rather a statement of humility. He was willing to put aside all things in this world in order to humbly and obediently follow christ in all ways from there he said i may again this is not a statement of doubt it is a statement of surety in what lies ahead the word means to arrive at such as at a goal the english gives an ambiguity which does not exist in the greek what he is looking at to arrive is to attain the resurrection from the dead he has no doubt that it's going to happen there's no doubt in his mind the Greek does not imply that but it sounds that way to us Paul uses a word for resurrection not found elsewhere it's exanatasis. it means rising up to experience the full impact of resurrection for example thoroughly removed from the realm of the grave that is helps word studies the goal of Paul was one which he had dedicated his life to he was assured of its coming and therefore he desired to be responsible with the time that he had now as he awaited that glorious moment he knew he would die and lay it among the dead but he also knew that he would rise from among those dead out of the grave and out of the dead for him and for those who are in Christ there would be a departure leaving behind those dead who are not in him. The particular term from the dead is found only here and in 1 Peter 1.3 as it is applied to Christ Jesus. His resurrection is as a pledge that we too will follow him. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the mark of that pledge. Where is that found? The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the mark of that pledge?
0: Oh, Ephesians 1.13 13, 14.
1: Good, Ephesians 1.13 and 14. Placing us in Christ and thus guaranteeing what has been promised. As a matter of fact, we'll go there just because we've only said that 8,000 times in the past 20, 2,500 Bible studies, and so um, let's see here. Maybe maybe more than that, but it, this is one of the most common things that I will repeat again and again because it's got so much information if you stop and think on these verses. Um, Ephesians 1, 13. Oh, I'm, it always helps to be in the right book if you're going to quote something. Ephesians 1, Philippians, Ephesians, okay? And then... 13 and 14. I've turned all the way back to Corinthians while I was talking, and that made as much sense as a football bat. So here we go. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, Burke sent me something today uh, from Erwin Lutzer, and it had uh, something about um, the the surety of salvation. What um, he was promised, this righteousness was something that was credited to him. Okay, it was credited to him and that it would come to pass in Christ. And that's what we have right now with the surety of our salvation. It is credited to us. His righteousness is imputed to us. His death and resurrection have been granted to us the death in atoning for our sins and making us righteous and the resurrection is the it's like the pledge all by itself that we too will be raised okay and the holy spirit is the one that seals us and confirms that okay now um, obviously unless you believe as charismatics do it's not something you're going to feel inside of you Okay, it's based on your acceptance of the gospel if it is the true gospel. And the reason why I say this is because we have the spirit of antichrist. Okay, uh, John speaks of that, and if the spirit of antichrist exists, and somebody believes a false gospel, which is the when Paul, I'm sorry, when John speaks of the spirit of the antichrist, he is speaking of somebody that denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, meaning deity. That is the spirit of Antichrist that John writes about. When somebody denies the deity of Jesus Christ, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, so a person says that I've heard the gospel and I uh, believe the gospel and I was told at that time because it was a Jehovah's Witness, oh, well, I am, uh, Jesus is not God, okay? He is believed according to Paul in in Galatians 1, 6 through 8, a false gospel he's called on the false Jesus and he's believed a false gospel but he reads Ephesians 1 13 and 14 and he says well i'm sealed with the Holy Spirit you know I, I i know i am because i believed in Jesus and then come to find out later he says i was wrong Jesus is God well that tells you that if there is a false gospel and a false Jesus then there is a true gospel and a true Jesus and that's why you need to make sure that you're in the faith and that is to ensure that you believe what is taught you properly. If you believe from the outset that Jesus isn't God and he can save you then you have believed a false gospel and in a false Jesus. Okay, the spirit of the Antichrist is there telling you you're saved and you're on your way to heaven when in fact you're not. Okay, and so you want to make sure that what you believe is proper. Now, that's one of the things I say. When you present the gospel to people, you want to keep it as simple as possible, okay? You don't want to get into all of these things that are irrelevant to the gospel message itself because the gospel is very simple. Christ died for my sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. If you believe that, then you'll be saved, okay? But if somebody tells you in advance the way the Jehovah's Witnesses would, they'll come in and they'll say, well, God created a man and he, you know, you'll never be saved, okay? You want to just give them the basics, And if your theology is sound enough to say, I'm going to explain to you how you know that Jesus is God, great. Okay, but if not, God sent his son into the world to save you a sinner. And anybody that hears that without all of the extra baggage included in it will immediately know that Jesus is God because God is his father. And so you don't need to get into all the details. It's when you damage those details that you're presenting a false gospel. Don't damage the details. Make sure that if you are going to present anything beyond the gospel, you do it properly. Okay? If you're not sure, then just give them the gospel. It's the simplest message in the world, and let God sort it out for them. They have a mind. They know that a person that is a son was born of a person. Okay? They weren't born of a chicken. They were born of a human being, and therefore, but if you're born of God, then you are the Son of God. Okay? It just People need to just make sure they get the basics right. Anyway, uh, that's the pledge that we were talking about. His resurrection is a pledge that we too will follow him. Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 15. Speaking of the resurrection, he goes through it in such great detail to make sure that people understand that. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the mark of that pledge. And he is actually called the pledge in... Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, placing us in Christ and thus guaranteeing what he has promised. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it's a great, great set of verses to know and to contemplate and to, with all, you know, we were talking last week, I don't know if you remember this, but we were talking about the, uh, you know, gambling on your salvation, okay, and I, I gave a couple of examples, the um, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, you have to observe the sabbath if you're not then you're not saved okay they're gambling that that is correct well if you're not gambling on the certainty then what are you doing okay in other words if you say well i need to observe the sabbath in order to so that god knows that i'm saved that's one of your works it's not of the gospel because the gospel says that uh, you were saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's that?
0: And Jesus is our rest.
1: Well, that's right. He is our rest. But it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you say, I need to observe the seventh-day Sabbath in order to prove that I'm saved, then it wasn't a gift. Okay? You're gambling on your salvation. And that's true with anything that you add into the equation. Anything. And that is anywhere along the line. I'm saved today and I say, I need to start doing this in order to prove that I'm saved, you're gambling on your salvation. You are the one that is making the path, and it's never going to get you there, ever. Only Jesus, only Jesus is the Savior. When you believe that, you will be saved. You don't need to add anything onto it. You don't need to add any of these legalistic things that people add in.
0: They're all measured by man.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying. They're all measured by man, either by yourself or by your preacher or somebody else. Man Of some sort has become the standard of what you must do in order to be saved. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are saved by grace through faith. Okay? And that not of yourselves. It is God who is the standard. If you've put your trust in him, then what are you doing with all of this religiosity? Put all of that behind you and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Okay? All of the good stuff that you do after salvation. All of it is fine. I would never tell somebody that you should not be reading your Bible and applying that to your life. You'll never hear me say that, but that is not what saves you. What saves you is belief in what Jesus did. All of this stuff that comes afterward is great. That is what we are to do, and that is what we are expected to do, but if you don't do it, you're the one that is going to suffer the loss, not the Lord, and you will not lose your salvation. I don't know how people can read these things. Let's go there right now. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll read you that, and I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll read you that. I don't know how people can read these things and say, oh, well, yeah, but here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to take you down to verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. That is the salvation. That's it now if anyone builds so you're doing your thing after salvation is what paul is speaking of if anyone builds on this foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw i read my bible i apply the bible to my life i do all the things that god expects of me okay each one's work will become clear if i don't do those things then they'll be burned up some will be purified in fire some will be burned up in fire but that is my stuff after being saved it has nothing to do with when I was saved. Does everybody see that? Christ is the foundation you're building on top of that, your rewards and losses. That's what he's saying. Nothing that you do after salvation can affect your salvation. He goes on. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is and then he says right here if anyone's work if anyone's work which he is built on endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet as so through by yet so as through fire okay it can't be any clearer i'm saved I am on the road to heaven, and now I'm going to build upon the foundation that I have accepted. And I'm building. This is my walk in the Lord. Mine is different than yours, than yours, and than yours. But if everyone in this building right now is saved, every single one of us will continue to be saved until the end, because Christ will not allow us to lose our salvation. But all of the stuff that we did wrong, it'll be burned up, but you will be saved yet as by fire, yet as fire yet so as through fire. Okay, and then he goes again to this subject in 2 Corinthians, probably because they didn't listen the first time or maybe because he just wanted to make sure that they got it the first time. And he says, 2 Corinthians 5, and he says, starting in verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men we are well known to God and I also trust that are well known in your consciences. Okay, so he just said the same basic thing. These are your works after salvation and you're going to receive reward or loss, but if you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it means that you are standing before Christ. You're not standing at the great white throne. You are standing before the Lord who saved you. And you're the one that has to face him on whatever you have done with this life. Make it a good one, okay? At the Bema. The what? At the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat, the Bema. He's elevated, we're down below, and we're going to stand there and we're going to get what we deserve. Believers. Believers. Yes, That's yes, Believers. Yes. That's absolutely right. And nobody else, okay? But that is what Paul teaches. Yep. These churches that teach... All of this baggage after salvation, you can lose your salvation. You need to do this. You need to do that. Listen, I'll never tell somebody that you shouldn't do these things. You don't need to do them to be saved or to keep being saved. There is a difference between the two. You need to grow. You need to grow. Okay. But when I say need, it's in the sense that you should. Correct. Okay. You should grow. You should be doing these things. This is what the Lord expects of you. This is what he wants for you. He wants the best. Listen, he made us. We're human beings. He fashioned us. He knows what's going to work. He knows what's not going to work. He knows that if we don't do these things, we're going to have our own troubles in this life. And even if we do them, we're not going to be free from troubles. Anybody that thinks that is thinking the wrong thing. It's not a joy right. You know, somebody called me with a problem this past week. And, you know, I was helping this individual out, you know, just listening. And and I said, you know what? I, when I am in Christ and I'm doing my thing every day, it's not being in Christ and having the hope of Jesus. I want to make sure I'm saying what I said properly. Having the hope of what Jesus offers gives me all the joy in the world. But in this life right now, I don't have a lot of joy. And I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to be as honest as I can. I don't have a lot of joy. I work hard. I'm tired every single day. I get frustrated. Hidako wakes up and all the dogs start barking right in the middle of typing a commentary. Whatever. Okay. I love the dogs and I love the noise, but it's just... You And I love Hidako too. Yes. Uh, Well, she doesn't make any noise. She's very quiet. But anyway, but for the most part, and just as honest as I can be, the physical existence that I live is one of being tired. It's one of being just... Uh, It's just always going and there's no peace. And I'm talking about, you know, like I'm a Hollywood movie star and I can sit and do anything I want, which is just an ideal that doesn't exist anyway. Okay, but that's what people think. I'm going to have this great life and why am I not having this great abundant life in Jesus? Okay, I have that abundant life in Jesus. It is a hope that goes beyond this crummy world okay everybody see the difference i love the life that i live because of jesus and yet i am tired in this life i'm you know i cut my finger a couple weeks ago that wasn't a joyful thing okay going through the antibiotics was not good you get sick you get COVID, you lose your dog you lose your father you lose you know your bank account somebody steals everything these are not joyful things and they happen to me just like everybody else just because I preach all week long and I tell people about Jesus does not mean that I don't go through those as well. And I would love to have them end. But the joy that I possess is the hope of eternal life. If people will separate those, I think that their walk with the Lord would be better. Because if you're looking for right now satisfaction, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. I don't think that everybody has. There are people that do. There are people that really have, I believe, really Comfortable lives and I'm talking about you know in their their heads in their physical bodies and you know They just die in peace. There are people like that, but I don't think that is the norm I think that is the exception. Okay, it's like there, you hear about the woman that had a baby and she didn't have any pain at all Right that is not the norm. I got a grimacing face over here right now. That is not the norm Okay, the norm is exactly what the Bible says. I will multiply your pains in childbirth and that's what you're going to face okay? But the same thing. Most people have lives that are difficult, that are lacking a physical right now joy, and I want, once again, I want to say it one more time so nobody misunderstands me. I have all the joy in the world because of what Christ has offered, and that's all I care about. If I cared about this life right now, I might as well just get out of, I I won't say it, but I'd rather just finish it up, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not a joyful life in the sense that what is there here? What is there except the world that's getting worse by the minute? Mm -hmm. Anybody? Am I the only one that feels this way? Okay, I got a lot of head shaking. Good. I'm glad. Oh, I'm so excited about what Jesus offers me. My hair's standing up while I'm talking to you. That's how much I love the hope of Jesus because this life ain't getting it, okay? Life application. Paul was assured of his position in Christ. And he desired to live for Christ because of what that meant. It doesn't mean right now Paul was the one that was in hardships and troubles and I was shipwrecked often, and I was beaten. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm enjoying this. He was hating being beaten. As a matter of fact, one time he was going to be beaten and was so life-threatening that he said, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me because it probably would have killed him. Alright? So, he wasn't enjoying these things. He was telling us for our benefit that this is what we can expect in this life. He desired to live for Christ because of what that meant. How troubling it is that we often are confused as to whether our salvation is really true or not. Let God be true, but every man a liar. He has promised he. Christ Jesus will perform. It's what we were talking about with Abraham. Man, Abraham, let's go there before I finish this life application. Genesis 15, all right? I'd never really thought of it as being asleep the entire time, but it could be. Something that Burke had uh, sent me today on uh, uh, a particular issue, and it was speaking of Abraham. And I suppose, I went back and I reread it, and I suppose you could infer that he was asleep during the whole thing. I don't know if, I've never come to that thought in my head before, but it could be, okay? But... The point isn't whether he was asleep or not. If he was, great, it makes it all the more poignant. But here we go, here's what it says. Um, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That is the, the statement of faith. Abraham believed first and then God counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so the Lord himself does something to guarantee that he will inherit it. Now, when I read you this, this is just what he has done with us. It's just what he's done with us by the giving of Jesus, okay? So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them down, cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two and that is explained in the Leviticus sermons if you don't understand that I talk about it there in detail and when the vultures came down on the carcasses Abraham drove them away now when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon Avram okay now this is where I had never really given this much thought but we're going to assume that he's asleep during this entire process I've always thought that he had woken up and seen it, but doesn't matter. He's, he's asleep at this point, and if he sleeps all the way through it, that's fine. It makes what happens all the more poignant. Okay. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Avram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for hundred years. All happened just as the Lord said. And also the nation <clears throat> whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, and I can show you that sometime, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here it is. And it came to pass, when the sun went down, and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed through those pieces. That is a visible, physical manifestation of the Lord. I am the Lord, and I am now cutting this covenant. The animals are cut. I am the one that's going through it. Abraham didn't go through these animals. The Lord went through the animals only. And that is saying when you cut a covenant, the both parties would always walk between the animals and they say, if we don't uphold the terms of this covenant, I am subject to be as these animals are. My life is forfeit. And the other party had every right to do that to that person. The Lord himself put put himself under that covenant. Abraham did not have to do anything the Lord spoke and he went through those animals smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your descendants I have given this land blah 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 okay so the Lord put himself through that and that's what he did in Christ Christ suffered for our sins he made the covenant this is the covenant in my blood he made the covenant we had to do nothing If he made that promise to Abraham and it was so sure that if he didn't perform, he would be like those animals. He would be, well, he wouldn't be God at all. That's all you can say. Whatever went through those things was not God because he did not perform, but he did perform. And when he gave his son Jesus to us, he gave us the surety that I am doing something that you do not have to follow through on. All you need to do is believe. Abraham believed, and God credited to him for righteousness, and then cut a covenant for Abraham to believe. That is what God did for us in Christ. Anybody that says that you can lose your salvation does not understand the most basic theology of the Bible, that God does not lie. He does not lie. He has made the covenant. He has promised it in the blood of his son. God will not Anybody that tells you that. You have a 100% guaranteed hope of salvation in Christ. 100% guaranteed. Do not let anyone rob that from you. And that is where your joy should come from. Right there. If you don't have it in this life, you have it for the promise of the next one. That is it. Okay, we'll go back and read that again. Paul was assured of his position in Christ, and he desired to live for Christ because of what that meant. How troubling it is that we often are confused as to whether our salvation is really true or not. Let God be true and every man a liar. He has promised he will perform. Think of Abraham. He performed exactly, exactly. The 400 years is exactly 400 years. From the time that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac until the time that they were brought out of Egypt was 400 years okay and then he says i will bring you back in the fourth generation and you know what when you read the bible there are some people that had five generations or six generations of people that came out from egypt but one line only one line recorded the years of the lives of the people judah no really Aaron's line. Oh, Levi. Levi. One line, and it shows this guy married this person's, uh, this guy married this person's daughter or something, okay, Jacobed. okay? And if you follow the years of their lives and the generations, one, two, three, four. And they're the only ones that are recorded with the ages within that to let you know that it was exactly four generations. Some were three, maybe. Some died off, maybe. I'm not talking about tribes. I'm talking about individuals. Whatever. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's longer. There's This guy brought out his great-great-grandchildren. You know, Joseph, uh, it said he had him sit on his knees to his children's children, I think. Whatever. Okay. But you can deduce that it wasn't four generations for everybody, but the one generation of or line of people that has their ages recorded is the one that is the fourth generation. So everything that he said to Abraham, everything that he said was true. It's recorded in the Bible and it was true, okay? All of the other things don't matter. The only thing that matters is what he said and that there is a fulfillment of that. And if there is, then it came to pass. That is how true and sure your salvation is. If you read the Bible and you know these things, uh, the reason why that came to mind is my friend emailed me uh, about three or four weeks ago, and he said, I don't understand why this statement is in here about this person talking about the ages and all that. And I said, here's why. And I went back and I copied from my old sermon. I plagiarized from myself and I said, here, this is why. It's because it's to prove the promise all the way back that we just read right here. We have a sure word. We have a sure hope. And we serve the God, not just a great God. We serve the God, the only God. If the promise is ahead of us, then we really will meet up with it some wonderful day. It's coming, okay? The world's getting terrible. It's getting worse by the day. We're frustrated. He and I were talking terrible thoughts here a little while ago. I'm saying, don't say that during the, the Bible study, okay? We're trying to comfort each other through the, the grief of this world, okay? Should we not be striving to emulate the Lord while we await its arrival? Shouldn't? We, isn't that what we should be doing? So when people aren't doing that and they're saying, well, you know, I don't understand why Jesus is beating me up because this is a bad world. This is a terrible world. He's not beating you up. He put you in the world to live it. And it's going to be good sometimes and it's going to be difficult at times. That's going to happen. Paul says everybody in Christ can expect persecutions. I know that's Charlie Garrett paraphrase, but that's what he said. Okay, so be ready to face difficult times with the hope that you possess in you because the right now may not be a happy time. Okay, we're in 312 now.
0: 1633. What? 1633
1: of John. John 1633. Oh, yes, I knew what that's going to say. I'm not going to say it because I could be wrong, and then I'd look like a dummy, but I'll let you know if I was right in a second. 1633. Um, yeah, that's not the one I was thinking of, but it's just the same thought. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world you will not maybe you will have tribulation but be a good cheer i have overcome the world that is our hope christ has done it we will do it because we have the surety the pledge that he has given us of that if you have believed properly jesus christ died for your sins jesus christ was buried jesus christ came out of the grave proving that he is god and proving that he has taken away removed your sins That is what you need to know. If you know that, then all this other stuff is fluff. It may be terrible in the process. I'm sorry. I understand. Okay. Uh, The finger. Everybody asked about the finger over the past four days. It's way, way better. There's a little damage on the side that's still healing, but it's, like, I would say it's going to be 92.3%, and then by the time it's finished, it's going to be about 99.739%. It's going to be forever. I think it's going to have a little red color and a couple of... uh, uh, gouges, but I can't believe how well the human body heals. I, we were talking about that here. How well our body heals. The Lord is so good. He, oh, yeah, evolution took care of that. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, 312.
0: Okay, pressing on towards the goal, 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me.
1: Okay, does yours say obtained or attained? Ob- Not obtained. Yours says obtained. obtained. Yours says, okay, all right, this one says attained. Hmm. I just wasn't sure if, you know, I, I didn't hear well enough. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Okay. To attain is like you're striving for something. To obtain, maybe it's just given to you. So I'd like attained better, but whatever. Um, uh, the tenses of the verbs within the verse intentionally change with the progression of Paul's thought. Scholars struggle over and argue over the exact reading of what he is conveying. But Despite the nuances, the overall picture here and for the next couple verses are those of the Greek races. There is a prize at the end of the finish line and Paul describes the process from beginning to end concerning that goal. If that is kept in mind, then an overall understanding of his words is more easily grasped. He has just spoken of the resurrection from the dead, his words, resurrection from the dead, and now he introduces the thought of being perfected he has drawn together the two as if they have the same overall meaning he has seen this is seen also in Jesus words found in Luke 13. let me see if I can find out oh, yeah, what I remember
0: that let me just say yes pain implies, implies work
1: yeah well it, it does but at the same time he's talking about the resurrection of the dead correct okay yeah. so right. he, he knows that he's already got it but Luke on um, 1332 he says, what does he say there? Um, Oh yeah, and he said to them, Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus ties his death in with being perfected. How can this be when he is the sinless son of God? It is because he assumed the likeness of man. He came and dwelt in the mortal flesh of humanity. Until he died and was resurrected, he bore this form. However, in his resurrection, the corruption of the earthly body was cast off. Not that his earthly body ever corrupted. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's a it's a human body, okay? So please don't think I'm saying his body corrupted. It did not, okay? And he was adorned in a heavenly body, okay? And it says there, Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 15 again. We shall be like him. We don't know as he is, but we shall be like him, okay? He came in the likeness of man, okay? So he had a body that could bleed. He had a body that could be crucified, Okay, it was a sinless body, and so it could not, death could not hold him. So, when I say corrupted, I'm not talking about he was in corruption in any way, shape, or form. I'm talking about the nature of the body. It was a physical, tangible body that had blood, you know, pulsing through it, and he had all of the things that can happen to you and me, he had. Okay, so, um, until he, uh, where was I? However, in his resurrection, the corruption of the earthly body was cast off and he was adorned as in a heavenly body. He saw no corruption in his earthly body. That is recorded in Acts. I might as well read it to you just so you know exactly what I'm talking about because uh, Peter makes a great theological point about that. I'm not gonna get into it right now, but in Acts chapter two, he says in verse 27, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Okay, now who wrote that? Peter. No, no, no.
0: Oh, Luke. No, no,
1: no, no. Who wrote the, he's citing somebody. Oh,
0: oh. Genesis Isaiah. 16.
1: No, no. Um, I'm going to read it again. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. Who wrote those words originally? David. David, David, you have made known to me the ways of life. I'm going to have to give you the uh, lesson I was going to skip over because... I I want to make sure you understand. You got that. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is here with us today. So David can't be speaking about himself because he's dead, he's buried, and he's corrupted. There's nothing left. If you open that casket, there may be bones and teeth, but that's all you're going to find. You're not going to find anything else in there. Okay? So he makes his point. He says, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And that's all seen in the picture of the Jordan River. Remember where the Jordan goes from. Everything about the everything about the Jordan River pictures the life of Christ. I've got more of it coming in uh, future sermons coming up in Joshua because we're going to talk about that. But it started in Mount Hermon, always white up on top of there. It's a picture of heaven purity. He comes down, he descends, he goes through the Lake of Galilee, makes a picture all by itself. Then he goes through this zigzagging It's a 60-mile course, but the river actually goes about 200 miles, in it's zigzagging. What is that picture? A picture of something. Okay, eventually, Christ died, all right, but where does the river end? In the Salt Sea. The Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea. It's called the Salt Sea in the Bible. It's a picture of incorruption. Salt is for incorruption, right? And then what happens to that? Does it flow out to the ocean? No it raises and it goes back into the atmosphere and ends up back on top of Mount Hermon again. Okay, it's a picture of Christ. Everything about the, and that is what he's saying. So, ye will not allow his flesh to see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit and etc. Okay, really important the things that we see in the book of Acts that you would just read over like, ah, it's a fun narrative. There is theological information being conveyed that is so wonderful, okay? And that is seen in what we're looking at right here now, all right? Jesus ties, I'll read it again, his death in with being perfected, okay? Let me go down a little bit. This, uh, in his resurrection the corruption of the earthly body, not the corrupt body, but the corruption of the earthly body, okay? No corruption in him. Uh, He cast off and was adorned in the heavenly body. He saw no corruption in his (coughs) earthly body, Acts 2.27, cited by David, pictured by the Jordan River, etc. etc. No corruption. But the body itself could have been corrupted if it was found with sin. But he wasn't found in sin. He was found without sin, and there was no corruption in him. It was not. And he never saw the corruption of the pit. The author of Hebrews alludes to the idea of death and perfection several times, such as in Hebrews 2.10. five nine. 1140, and 1223. Some of these are speaking of Jesus and others are speaking of what lies ahead for us, for us. This is what Paul now refers to. He has said that he has not already attained or obtained, depending on your translation, this state, meaning already being perfected. It may seem unusual that he would state this, but the erroneous claim was already circulating that the resurrection was already passed. That's found, for example, in 2 Timothy 2.18. Let me read you that. These miscreants were coming and telling people this in 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy comes after what book? One, oh, very good. You guys are really, you are right there. It says, um, I'll take you back to 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows who are his. If the resurrection is past and you're still here, then you weren't His. But if you are his and you're 100% certain of it, then the resurrection hasn't happened, okay? People are out there all the time trying to destroy other people's hope, all of their, uh, who they are and they're just trying to make them miserable. There's a million of them out there. Go on YouTube and just type in something you know, that's aberrant in doctrine and you'll find a million people that are teaching that right on YouTube, okay? People want to steal your joy. They want to steal your hope. And that 218, 2 Timothy 2.18, and that the day of the Lord had passed as well. Where is that found? In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 2. Remember the man of sin. And uh, let's read it. We'll go there really quickly. Um, uh, 2 Thessalonians is found after what book? Anybody? <laughs> okay, let's see here. We got 2 Thessalonians 2. All right. And then that's 1 Thessalonian. I'm almost there. It's such a small book, it's hard to find. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2, and I think I said verse... Two, what did I say? What? Two. Okay, so i got to turn one more page. Um, and now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay, and I went through that in detail a while ago on that uh, thing about the rapture. Because the reason why he says those things is because people are going to come in and they're going to tell you that the resurrection is past or that the day of the Lord has already come. And I said, when I did that, there were people out there that say, oh, well, I went to Israel with one of them. This lady was like, yeah, we're in the tribulation period right now. Okay. If that's true, then we missed the rapture because everything is given in sequence. It is so crystal clear. And yet people just want to abuse the timeline for whatever perverse reason. Okay. It is so clear. We will not be here during the day of Christ. The Antichrist is revealed after we are here. We're not going to know who the Antichrist is. So why bother to learn who the Antichrist is? He gives everything in detail. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Christ. I'm waiting for the Rapture. They can worry about the Antichrist. They can worry about that. I'm not. That doesn't concern me at all. Okay. There's what? It's a long seven years. It's going to be a long seven well, years. I mean, she was, when was that? Oh yeah, that was in 2003. This has wow. been a long tribulation period. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but she was just as adamant as she could be. Some we're in the tribulation because together. she read some stupid thing on YouTube or something that said we're in, and oh yeah, we're in. The, it's we're not. Mm-hmm. Believe, trust me in this. We are not in the tribulation period. All right. The man of sin will be revealed, and he's not going to be revealed until we're out of here. Paul is so clear. He's so precise in what he says that I don't know how we can miss it. But once that stuff starts getting thrown in. All kinds of, all kinds of red herrings and don't worry about it. We will be out of here before those things happen. Absolutely certain. Okay, we will be out of here. Christ will get us out of here before that day comes. Okay, life application. Am I absolutely certain that I'm on the right page? Let me see here. No, I'm not. I'm on page 120. Let me turn my thing over, and I'm on page 82 now. Okay, Um, so I give you some uh, verses. 2 Timothy 2.18 and 2 Thessalonians 2.2, these claims that the day of Christ had come or that you the whatever the resurrection had already occurred, these claims were intended to then show that some had been perfected. Okay, people will say, well, see, I'm in my perfected body. Okay, I made it. And if they made it, that means you didn't make it and I'm better than you. Okay, this is the kind of thing that people will do. They're just... Why? why? Why do this? They could then lean, lead their followers down wayward paths of belief concerning the super spiritual state they possessed. I mentioned that at the beginning of a sermon just two or three weeks ago. All over the world, right now, right now in the world, there are like 15 people that have documented, I am the Messiah. Okay, I said there's one in Russia, there's one in the Philippines, there's one, I gave all of the countries, people alive right now, and I said that there was one in Miami up until just not too long ago people were saying he's the messiah he and all of a sudden now he's dead and whoops that didn't work out okay these people are not the messiah they could lean lead their followers down wayward paths of belief concerning the super spiritual state they possessed this heretical doctrine still exists and i gave this guy as an example david koresh claimed that he was the lamb of god of the book of revelation and they believed him and so what did he get to do do you remember what he did with all of the guy's wives He got to sleep with all of their wives. That's his goal in life. Unbelievable. Yep, he's the Lamb of God of Revelation. Others have made claims that they are the embodiment of Christ or that they have been perfected. These claims always lead people down the heresy highway. Always. Paul is warning against such things, stating that he remained in his earthly body and the final goal still lay ahead. Okay. Because, of, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Man Who Would Be King. It was Sean Connery and it was a good movie. You know, it's just one of these tales of uh, these guys go off and they look for, uh, it, it, like Shangri-La, but it's not, It's there's a name for it. Anyway, and they went to this place and, and uh, Sean Connery is with Michael Caine. It was a really good movie. Okay. It, yeah, it was one of his cheesier ones and he's done a couple cheesy movies, but it was good. Okay, so they go off and uh, certain things happen. They're so coincidental that Sean Connery starts thinking he's a god. I don't want to give it all away, but at the end, he finds out he's not a guy, okay? Uh, it's a fun movie, so go ahead and watch it. Michael Caine always makes everything interesting. He does a really good job in his movies. Sean Connery is just, you know, he's he's just a great actor. And uh, I think they were both in the movie about D-Day, weren't they? What was it called, uh, The Longest Day? Was that what it was? All of those famous actors, I think both of them were in that movie. I may be wrong, I know Sean Connery was. But anyway, um, uh, watch it if you want just something fun. There's nothing vulgar. There's nothing disgusting in there. A lot of funny things that happen to some of the people they encounter. It really is a fun movie. It's called The Man Who Would Be King, and you did see it. I saw a head shaking. Anybody else see that? No. Okay. Check it out. It's an older movie, but it was very well done. Okay. um, But the point is that like Sean Connery in the movie finding out, these people eventually find out, you know sorry, you're not God, and they're going to have to pay for it in the end, okay? So, um, where was I? Uh, This is important to understand as well. Um, uh, Okay, let me go back up here. Where was I? Oh, yeah, these claims always lead people down the heresy highway. Paul is warning against such things, stating that he remained in his earthly body, and the final goal lay still ahead. Because of this, he contrasts the notion by saying, but I press on, That's the way I feel every day when I get up and I just can't stand. I'll tell you what, something happened. I always go to a prayer circle over here on um, Gateway every Tuesday morning. I didn't even realize it until Thursday that I had missed it this week. First time I've ever missed it since I started going. I woke up on Tuesday morning. Remember how tired I was Monday? Monday was one of the toughest sermon typings I've had in a long time. My brain, I emailed somebody. I said, I think I broke my brain today. Mm my friend Bob I I think I broke my brain I was I was completely done and I woke up the next day and I was still so tired that I I completely forgot to drive over there it's like a five-minute drive and I I didn't remember it until Thursday uh, Wednesday yesterday so last night anyway um, so uh, I press on and that's what we have to do you press on no one presses on towards that which they already have attained Instead, they look ahead to a prize which is still out of reach. Thank God that we have that hope because people in this world, they're, you know, didn't get my vacation this year. It's the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So what? You know, I got I got an eternity of vacation coming up. We get so caught up in this world. Let Jesus fill you when you won't have to worry about those things. Um, they look ahead to a prize which is still out of reach. Paul is not speaking of salvation, but of the state which is promised because of salvation. This is important to understand as well. If misinterpreted, one could come to the conclusion that he is still unsure of his own salvation and was still working to ensure he would, in fact, be saved. That is not what Paul is saying in any way, shape, or form. He is speaking about the goal which lies ahead, the wonderful goal that he is working for so that he has a good reward. Not a salvation, a good reward okay he is speaking of what salvation promises until he was perfected put that in quotes for you until he was perfected through death and to the new body which lies ahead he was striving to be as Christ-like as possible while still in his earthly body okay as I said at the beginning of this class, I know I fail that every single minute. I I want to be the best person I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the I want to have a yard that doesn't make my wife weep when she walks outside. I mean, all these things you got. You want You you want to do these things in life, but you can't do everything, and you fail at the things that you do, including honoring the Lord. Okay, I finally got out with the chainsaw yesterday after what's it been a, a whole month now probably a month, I got out with the chainsaw. And for the first time in my life, I had chainsaw gloves on. It was so uncomfortable. It's hard to get used to something you've never worn. But I said, I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I might get it in my forehead, but I'm not going to get it on my hand again. Okay, so I went out and I got that yard all tidied up and she came home and she came in. She said, oh, thank you. yard looks so good. Uh, oh, boy. But yeah, we want to do these things. But in the meantime, we just keep pressing on. All right, he's trying to be as Christ-like as possible while still in this earthly body. This is exactly what he's been talking about prior to this verse for him that was also that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me that's his words I'll read it again that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me Christ is you know I tell people you know I understand that it's hard to hold on to Christ and sometimes I feel like I'm slipping I'm talking about me Charlie okay Mm -hmm. but I know that he has got both arms all the way around me and I'm not going to slip even when I feel like I'm, I'm failing. He's not, he's not gonna fail, okay? So he was uh, striving to be perfected because the perfected Christ had granted him the surety of future prote- perfection. Christ was the initiator and grantor of that promise. And so Paul, admitting that he was still imperfect, perpetually strived for perfection in order to be pleasing to the perfected one jesus and that's all we can do is strive we're never going to make that in this life we are never going to make that state when you say i just know i'm failing the lord yeah you are okay doesn't matter you're doing your best then that's all that matters okay because we will never be perfect in this life all right that is one of the heretical doctrines that is taught by some charismatic churches where you can attain sinless perfection in this life in fact it's become common in several other denominations as well that you can attain sinless perfection. That is one of the most damaging doctrines for the people in that church that I could ever imagine. I am there, you are not, and you're a miserable person, and you need to keep coming so that you can learn from me how to be perfected. I'm sorry, that is a disgusting heresy. Those people are as fallen as they could be and even further than they know. And they'll prove it. <laughs> What's that? And they'll, uh, and they'll I'll prove it. it. That's exactly right. His words are certainly given for a warning to, the, to all that perfection is not attainable in this life, but that it is rather an ideal that we can and we should strive for while we live. That is what we do. We strive for it. We try to attain it, but we're never going to attain it until the day that he perfects us okay, claiming sinless, here it is I'm talking about, claimless sinless perfection while still in this corruptible body, or claiming that this corruptible body has been cast off like those two guys, Hermanius and whatever, Alexander, whoever it was corruptible body has cast off prior to the resurrection from the dead are both voluntary paths down apostasy avenue, and which lead directly to heresy highway They don't lead anywhere else than that. I'm sorry if you believe that or if you're in a church that teaches that, I would not just get up and walk out. I would run, screaming on the way out the door. Get out of a church like that because that is damaging to everybody that's involved in it. Everybody. Life application. We can and should strive for perfection, and we can and should strive to emulate Christ in all ways. But we should never claim that we have arrived or follow anyone who makes such a claim. This will only happen when Christ comes and perfects all of us Mm. together. Until then, let us be wise and sober about our fallen nature, lest we get caught up in some serious error, okay?
0: Eternal God is my refuge. Oh, absolutely. Are are the
1: the everlasting everlasting arms, arms. (laughs) absolutely. That's the verse we have on the picture in the back there. Underneath are the everlasting arms, okay? Um, As a matter of fact, that's what uh, I opened that in a sermon just recently. Or maybe that's coming up soon. I think, hang on. Yeah, I think it's a sermon that's coming up and I'm going to give away the sermon. I don't want to do that. Let me see here. It's in Deuteronomy it is. It's in the one coming up. Number four. Not this coming week, but the week afterward. Uh, yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 33. I was thinking 32, and I, because I just finished up Deuteronomy 32, and we're in 33, and I can never remember if it's what I'm practicing or I'm going to, but where is that? Um, 27. Uh, there it is. 27. I'm going to start with 26. There is no God like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to help you, and in his ex... Excuse me, <clears throat> and in His Excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge, refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. He will do it. We're not going to do it. He's going to do it, and it is coming soon to a rapture near you. Praise God. Okay, we're in verse 313, and I'm sure we've got enough time. We've got nine minutes, so
0: brothers I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead
1: oh boy I can't wait to do the next one we've got to wait till next week but okay brethren I do not count myself <laughs> as to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting <laughs> excuse me forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I hope we have time for this let me see how long this commentary is 313. We're going to make it okay the words here restate what he just said in the previous verse it is an emphasis that his audience is to pay heed to not that i have already attained or am already perfected but i press on that i may hold lay hold of that for which christ jesus has also laid hold of me brethren i do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead he begins with brethren here to, under, to ensure that they know that they are all on the same level. All of them. I'm writing to you. You're all on the same level, folks. He is not elevated above them in this most important matter. If this is so, then what he will say pertains to them. And it pertains to any other brother in Christ as well. And so with that understood, he begins, in addition to the emphasis provided by the restated repetition, the words I and myself are emphatic in the Greek. He is ensuring that he is not counted among any heretic who would claim that they have been perfected. And he has not apprehended this state. And who would be more likely to have done so? Yeah. That's the whole point. And that's why he makes it emphatic. I and me. Okay, rather, as an equal with them in this life in Christ, he says, but one thing I do. The words I do are inserted for clarity. They're not in the Greek. And they do give a good sense of what will be said. There is an activity to his coming words which doing fits well. This activity is summed up with the words forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I had my life. I lived it. It was the wrong thing. I am now reaching for what is right. I am striving for the goal which is Christ Jesus. I'm fixing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith. The things which are behind are the achievements of verses four through six, which he once could have boasted in. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's of the stock of Israel. He's all these whoopie-doo things, okay? They have been forgotten in order to obtain a far better, a far greater, a far more wonderful prize. They have been disregarded for a more perfect goal, which lies ahead. For those things he is reaching forward, The words here, reaching forward, are in the emphatic position. In essence, to those things which are ahead, reaching forward. His eye is on the prize, and in that state, he lunges as a racer would when approaching the finishing line. You've seen it a million times. Somebody's running, the guy's right next to him, and he just sticks out his head, and he goes over the line first, or he jumps at the last moment, and he just beats out the competition. He is that runner. All of his efforts are being impelled forward for this one thing. The scholar Bengel says, with hand and foot, like a runner in a race and the body bent forward, the Christian is always humbled by the contrast between what he is and what he desires to be. And I would qualify that, Bengel, and I would say that the Christian that understands what Christ did for him, because there are people that have been saved and they just kind of floated around in their salvation. But the person that grasps the magnitude of what Christ has done for him, is now that person. Okay? The eye reaches before and hand, and this is still Bengal, and draws on the hand. The hand reaches before and draws on the foot. Life application and we will be done. How serious are you about what lies ahead? Are your efforts directed to it? Or are you stopping along the way to revel in the here and now? It is true that we live in this world and must be a part of it. But the but the efforts we put forth now should be in line with the glory that lies ahead. How effective the church would be if all of us had such a determined attitude towards the perfection which is awaiting us. Unfortunately, we don't. I I fall as much as anybody else, but a lot of the church doesn't even bother. They don't even get up and try. Okay, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to get out of there as quickly as possible. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to watch football all afternoon or whatever. Okay, and that's it. That's their whole experience for the week. And as I said, I remind you because it, it's such a, a contrast. Are the people that go to the charismatic churches? And a lot of them are people I grew up with in school, and they're good friends of mine. But I would see them post every single Sunday. Before church, I'm going to church today. I'm going to get filled up and on fire for the Lord. And then they get home and they post about how great the sermon was. And oh boy, the pastor hit it home today. And I'm just on fire for the Lord. And Monday morning at 930, they're posting about how miserable their lives are. And that goes on all the way through the week. And the Baptist guy that goes to church and he says, I'm going to worship the Lord today. And then at the end of the day, he says, The Lord is so good to us. My mother just died, but I am so thankful for having her. And then on Tuesday, my dog got run over before work today. And on the way to work, I got a flat tire, but the Lord is so good to me. And on Tuesday afternoon, he says, Oh, somebody broke into my bank account and stole everything I have in the world, but the Lord is so good to me. And there's a difference between the two because those people know that Christ died for them. And they didn't get a sermon that's there to fill them up with gas for 15 minutes. They got a sermon that was to give them the greatest hope that they could ever possess. And they remembered that and they strive for that goal. That is what they have. So let's thank the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what Christ did. We thank you for the knowledge that we possess in him and that we have the surety and the hope of eternal salvation. Help us to remember that when things are tough and to strive forward, always striving forward for the goal that lies ahead of us. And we know it's coming. We have that certainty in our heart. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. And we glorify you for it. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. 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 All right. Say goodbye to the folks online here. Uh, let's see here. We've got break, 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 break. Yeah, okay.